Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts, the fourth chapter. We are in a series of messages entitled Followers, and we are looking at different aspects of the followers of Jesus immediately after Jesus left this earth and he began to minister, he ascended, and the followers of Jesus were left with, what now? Uh, Easter has happened, the resurrection has happened, what, what do we do now? And there's five different things that we've identified, worship, engage, confess, connect, and share. And each of these five aspects of the followers of Jesus, we're going to dissect, we're going to look at. Uh, right now, we're looking at worship. Last week, we, we looked at worship, and we said, worship is not so much about me, worship is all about him. So when we come and we, we worship Him, we, we come and it's not about us, it's not about our preferences, it's all about Him. Today we're continuing this idea of worship, but we're going to look at it from the aspect of prayer. So often we think prayer is something that I do it's in order to get things that I want, and that's not what prayer is about. Just as worship is not about me, prayer is not about me. Prayer is not uh, getting, getting my will done on earth, it's getting God's will done. Prayer is not changing the heart of God or changing the mind of God. Prayer is changing the heart and the mind of man. That's what it's all about. So when we look in the opening pages of the book of Acts, we see prayer as a vital aspect, a vital part of these followers of Jesus. Who they were, they were prayers, they, that's what they did. It's written that when we rely upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we rely upon education, we will get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we will get what God can do. And I say that it's about time that you and I get in on what God is doing. So for far too long, we've been getting in on all that other stuff. We've been looking at education. We've been looking at, at eloquence. We've been looking at organizations. And we, we focus on those things. And we get what those things have gotten. Uh, we get those things, what we have received from those things. We, we, have, we have poured our life into getting all of this stuff. And we're looking at our life now. And we're saying, what is the point of life? My thing, I think that what we should see this morning as we open the page of Scripture, my thing, your thing, what we should be worried about is not what we can get, but what we can give. Not so much what we can get out of the world, but what can we give to the Lord. We can give our life and our heart, and we rely upon prayer. Let's pray and see what God can do. The first Christians, this is what they did. This was their life beat, their heartbeat. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, right before the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that Christ ascended. And after, uh, while, while he was, um, right before he ascended, they were gathered in one accord, devoting themselves to, notice what it says, prayer. They had gathered in the upper room and they were praying. They were praying as believers. They were praying as, as followers of Jesus Christ. They were praying. Jesus said, I want you to go to that upper room and the Spirit of God is going to be poured out upon you. And those disciples, they went. They didn't have small groups. They weren't doing discipleship. They weren't doing evangelism yet. The Bible says they had gathered together for prayer. They were praying. They were praying. And the Spirit of God poured himself out on the day of Pentecost. What we see here is the second greatest sermon ever preached, the first greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus preached. We find it in the Gospel of Matthew here, the second greatest sermon ever preached, preached by the Apostle Peter. Peter opened his mouth and began to proclaim the Gospel that Jesus was dead but now is alive. 
And he said, Jesus wants to save you. And the Bible says on that day, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 souls were saved. And then it comes right out of that. It doesn't say that they went home and they all ate fried chicken after that. That's not what they did. The Bible says that after 3,000 souls were saved, the church, the body, the followers of Jesus got back together. They grouped back together. And notice what it says in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Prayers. You say, well, pastor, that's easy to do, praying when those exciting times are happening, praying on those mountaintop experiences. When you stop and think about those two instances in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, that were mountaintop experiences. Acts chapter 1, of course they were praying because Jesus told them to pray, verbally told them to go and do it, so they were doing what Jesus told them to do. In Acts chapter 2, they were coming off one of the greatest revivals this world has ever seen. 3,000 people saved. Of course, pastor, they're going to go and they're going to pray when those are the mountaintop experiences. But I want you to notice something as we turn into Acts chapter 4. It's not just the mountaintop experiences that the followers of Jesus were praying. But they were found praying in those hard times of life as well. Let me set the stage. Pentecost has happened. Jesus has ascended. The followers of Jesus are trying to understand what do we do now? What's, what's next? Two apostles, Peter and John, two of those closest followers of Jesus when he was here, they, they were walking toward Jerusalem at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were going to church to pray. It was prayer time for the Jews. So they were walking to the temple to pray, to have a prayer meeting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And as they were walking to the temple, they encountered a lame man. The Bible says that in the power of Jesus Christ, they spoke to that lame man and and he was healed by the power and the blood of Jesus. A fervor began around the temple and people began to talk very loudly about this lame man who was sitting out, who was begging for a living and, and he is now healed. The fervor got to the Jews, the religious zealots of the day, the Sadducees, and, and this group, the Supreme Court of Jews. They, they began to ask the crowd, who did this? Who's responsible for this? And they said, those two men over there, Peter and John. They went and they grabbed Peter and John and they said, by what way, whose name did you do this in? And they said, by the name of Jesus Christ, this man was healed. They said, don't you ever say that name again. You see, the Jews had gone through a lot. They had moved literally hell and high water in order in order to crush that name of Jesus, to eradicate that name of Jesus from the face of the earth. They put Jesus on the cross trying to kill him to get rid of him. They went through a lot of stuff to get the name of Jesus gone. And now these two guys are going and this lame man is now healed and they're saying it was by the power of Jesus. That religious court looked at Peter and John and said, don't you ever name the name of Jesus again. And if you do, there will be consequences to pay. You'll lose your life. Let's pick up the story. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, 
who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I believe that the hour has come that you and I need power from upon high. We need something different than what we've experienced in the past. What we've experienced in the past has, has not really got us to where we need to be. You and I, as followers of Jesus, must submit our life and pray that the God of heavens will hear our cry, answer our cry, and move among us the way he did in Acts 1, in Acts 2, and in Acts 4, and in other ways. What I want you to see here in Acts chapter 4 is these believers began to pray not out of good times, but out of hard times. Peter and John were both in the situation that if we name the name of Jesus again, we can lose our life. We can lose our life. Not many of us are faced with that circumstance today. While we may not be faced with losing our life if we name the name of Jesus, we are faced with hard times. We're faced with difficult circumstances in life. And we're looking around and saying, does anybody care? Does God care? Does God even know what's going on in my life? The answer is most certainly yes. What is the answer? What is it that you and I as followers of Jesus, what should we be doing? The answer is prayer. We should be praying. The first thing that we see a praying church does is we pray believing in God's power. A praying church, those who are followers of Jesus, when we pray, we pray believing in God's power. Notice verse 23. Verse 23 says, when they, that means Peter and John, when, when they were released, Luke didn't say that they went to the other apostles, does it? What does it say? And verse 23 says, when they were released, Peter and John, when they were released, they went to their who? Their friends. They went to their friends. You see it there? says they went to their friends, literally their own. The same word in the Greek is found in John chapter 1, verse 11, when it said Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. It simply means family. It means friends. It means close associates, neighbors. Here's the important thing. Peter and John, they didn't go to a close-knit group of people after they were just threatened with their life. They went to their church. They went to their family. They went and they gathered the gathering, the fellowship of Jesus, and they went to them and the family, the body, the church, the bride of Christ, the followers of Jesus, whatever you want to call them, began to pray with Peter and John. They prayed. They prayed for boldness. You say, well, can I pray for boldness? Can I, can I enter into the throne room of God? I'm not an apostle. No, but you're a child of God, and as a child of God, you can enter boldly into the throne room of God. 
Listen to me. I know that so many are raised with the mindset that you have to go through a man in order to get to God. That's not true. No man can lead you to God. Only through Jesus Christ can you enter into the throne room. You see, the Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the holy of holies is where God lived. And that veil, that curtain that was there between the holy place and the holy of holies was torn in two, giving access into God's very presence. So don't you believe the lie from Satan that you have to go through a man in order to be heard from God. You, you yourself can approach God in boldness, in clarity, in power, kneeling before his throne. Yes, you can go to God Almighty, God All-Powerful, and get a hold of the ear of God. We all can. You see, prayer that moves the heart of God is not limited to a special person or a special group of Christians with special rights or privileges. Prayer that moves the heart of God comes from His people, His children, you and I. We discover this when the people begin to pray in verse 24. It says they confess their confidence in the fact that He was the creator of all things. You see it there? Therefore, since He is the creator of all things, then He is the sustainer of all things. God the creator is the controller. And because that, they, they believe, they were confident in God's power. They said, we're going through a lot of stuff, God. We're going through a lot of hard times, God. But you are God creator. You are God sustainer. And it's in your power. It's in your presence. And we will not panic. These people will not scare us. That's what they said. They said, we're not going to be panicked. We're not going to be scared. You see, Corrie Boone once said, there's no panic in heaven, only plans. I like that. You see, when bad things happen to good people, and it happens all the time, doesn't it? Bad things happen to good people all the time. And when bad things happen to us, I mean, let's be honest, we all think that we're somewhat good people. And we don't go around thinking we're bad. I mean, it's human nature to think we're somewhat good. But a lot of times, oftentimes, you and I, when bad things happen to us, we, we say, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that happening. That wasn't in my plan. That wasn't in my will. That wasn't supposed to happen. You see, God, here's what was supposed to happen, and then this is what happened. So we're telling God what the plan is. We're telling God what, what it should happen you see, God, I wasn't supposed to get this doctor's note that says that I have cancer. I wasn't supposed to get that. You see, that, didn't, that doesn't come into the plan that I have for my life. So, God, you made a mistake. Wait a minute. Let me tell you something. God is not sitting in heaven saying, oh, my goodness, I didn't see that one coming. God's not caught off guard with the things that happen here. You see, we can't look past our own nose. We can't see in the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but God is already living in tomorrow. And though we may not know what's going to happen, and though, yes, bad things happen to good people all the time, we know and we believe that when bad things happen, 
When bad things happen to God's people, they're happening. Number one, they must go through the fingers of God. As Job prayed, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We know that in bad times, in hard situations, with bad reports and bad things, with all of those bad things, we can get focused on those. But what we have to understand when we come to God, we don't focus on the bad things. We focus on the God who is powerful enough to take those bad things and make them good. God is all-powerful. We're, we're believing in God for power. These disciples, they were going through some hard times, hard situations. But God showed his power. When you pray, Christian, you pray in faith. You don't pray and say, oh, woe is me. God, if you think you're powerful enough to do this, then do it. It's not faith. Jesus said that if you have faith as small as what? A mustard seed. You can say to that mountain, be cast into the sea and it will happen. Do you realize how powerful God is? Do you realize how powerful the God that you serve is? He is all powerful. He is over that situation that's in your life. He's over that marriage that you have that's breaking and crumbling apart. He's over that. He is God over that. Those children that have left your home and you think that they've gone on their own way and they're doing their own thing, God is God over that. He has power to bring them back. He has power to sustain your marriage. He has power to heal your body from that disease. God is all-powerful. And we approach him in faith. We approach him in faith. When we pray, we pray in faith. He's powerful. But beyond that, not only does the church pray, believing in God's power, they also pray trusting in God's word. Here in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, they began to pray in verse 25. Look at it. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles, the nations, rage? They Begin quoting Psalm, the second chapter, the second Psalm. They are praying and they're quoting scripture through this. They're simply praying the word of God. In order to pray the word of God, you must know the word of God. You must have hidden it in your heart. And these apostles, these disciples, the word of God was in them. They were the word themselves and, and they were able to quote it and, and put it in prayer. The scripture tells us in John chapter 15, verse 7, the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done unto you. You want to know how to pray? You want to know how to pray? You want to know how to pray in those dark days, in those difficult days? You want to know how to pray when those days that are coming and those storms of life come and they sit right over top of your life and you're saying, woe is me, where am I going, what am I going to do? Know the Word of God and rely upon the Word of God. Man will fail you, God's Word never will. It never will. You see... You say, well, what's God's will for my life? God's word will point you to his will. You say, well, what's God's will for the direction and who I should bury? Go and look at God's word. He has given you a lot of information about that. 
If you want to know God, you must know his word. If you want to pray, and remember, praying is not getting my will done on earth, it's getting God's will done. So if we're going to get God's will, if it's going to make us, get align us in his will, prayer, we often think prayer is, as we said earlier, trying to get God to give us things. Our will. If you're living in your will, then whose will are you not living in? God's will. So if you're living in your will, then you're stepping over here out of center. And you're saying, God, give me this and give me this and give me this and give me this. Now, notice it's not wrong to ask God for things. It's not wrong to ask God to, to supply your needs. In fact, we find in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's interesting, isn't it? What did he just say there, hallowed be your name? Students, y'all don't use that word hallowed very much, do you? You don't tweet and say hallowed, hashtag hallowed, do you? <laughs> hallowed means holy, majestic. Isn't it interesting that the way Jesus taught the disciples to pray is exactly how they're praying in Acts chapter 4. Remember the first point? They were praying, understanding God's power. God, you are the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. They're worshiping him through prayer. They're saying, God, you are holy. That's exactly how Jesus taught them to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. We worship you. You are creator of all things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Hmm, not my will, but his will. You see, prayer is not getting my will done, it's his will. And when we come over here and we step out of here, we're stepping into our own will. Then he said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, he taught us to pray and ask for things. He taught us to pray and, and ask God to supply our needs. Yes, it's your needs, not your greeds. Your needs, not your wants. And he said, pray, asking God to supply your needs. And, and when you begin to pray, you're not changing the heart of God. God's heart is already fixed. God knows what he's going to do. Prayer is not changing the heart of the mind of God. Prayer is changing my heart to get me out of my will and put me back over here where God's will is so that God can bless me. When I'm in my will, doing my way, I will not receive the blessings of God. But when I'm in God's will, doing God's way, I'll receive the blessings of God. The closer you are to the word of God, the closer you're going to get to God. P.T. Forsyth, the great theologian of yesteryear said, unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. That's good. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. The reason why so many of us cave and crater when life begins to cave in, the reason why is because we've not spent our time in prayer when difficulties come, we don't know the word of God. The Bible says, hide the word of God in your heart. You should be memorizing scripture. You should be hiding the word of God in your heart so when those dark days come, you can pray and pray scripture. You say, pray scripture. What does that mean, pastor? You spend time with him in scripture and prayer. You pray and you, you confess God. Remember we said, this is God's holy word. He will not come back on his word. If he said it, he's going to do it. And you go in prayer claiming God's promises, not telling him and reminding him of what he said. God knows what he said. He said it. But what you're doing is not telling God what to do. You're asking God to get you in the place to where you can receive the blessings from him. 
and you pray in accordance with God's word, John 16, 23 says, whatever, Father, God, you said, whatever I ask in your name, you will give. James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. God, you said in your word, Job 22, 27, that you will make our prayer to you and you will hear us. Pray the scripture. Moms and dads, pray scripture over your children. Pray God's word over your children as they, they lay in bed at night. Pray 1 Peter 5, 7 over them that they will cast their cares upon you, Father, for you care for them. Pray over them, James 1, Lord, I thank you that they are doers of the word and not hearers only. Pray the scripture over them, Philemon 1, 6, that they will be effective in sharing their faith. Husbands, pray scripture over your wives. Wives, pray scripture over your husbands. Psalm 119.37, that they will cast, you will cause them to turn their eyes away from worthless things. 2 Timothy 2.26, to come to their senses and escape the, scare of the, the, the snare of the devil. Pray scripture for healing, believing that God can bring healing. You say, Pastor, do you really believe that God brings healing to people. You better believe I do. If I didn't believe that, then I should just go ahead and close this Bible up and walk out and never preach again. We serve a great and powerful God who is the healing God. Time and time again in Scripture, we see healing take place. I'm reminded of the woman who had the issue of blood, and the Bible says that Jesus was simply just walking down the road, walking down the path, and this woman who didn't have the strength to be able to stand up, she reached her hand out and she touched the hem of his garment, just touched the hem of his robe that was on the street. And the Bible says that the power of the Spirit of God left Jesus and went into that woman and healed her to the point that he knew that happened. He turned around and he said, who touched me? Who touched me? See, the Bible teaches all the time that Jesus is the great physician. He is the great healer. Not only have I seen it done, but I believe it, that Jesus, the Lord God of heaven, can pour out his healing touch and heal people supernaturally. But sometimes God decides and chooses to heal us through medicine, doesn't he? Through doctors. You see, science is something that God has given to us. Medicine is something that God has given to us. And perhaps he wants to bless your life by giving you the medicine to bring healing to your body. Say, well, Pastor, wait a minute. I prayed for my husband for years and years and years. He was a saint. He was a godly man. And I anointed him with oil. The church prayed for him. He took the medicine. And he died. Why didn't God heal my husband? He did. The death for the saint of God is righteousness. Death for the saint of God is ultimate healing. There is no such thing as death for those who know Christ. It's promotion. 
we're promoted to something better. So you get out of your mind that God didn't bring healing to that person because he did. He or she is in heaven now. But you claim the scripture right now, believing that God can bring healing. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Matthew 8, 17, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. So on and so forth. Friend, as you read scripture, as you study scripture, you're going to notice something. The word of God and prayer are inseparably linked in God's word. When you begin to study the prayers of men and women in Scripture, you're going to notice that they pray the word of God constantly. They're inseparably linked. Trust in the word of God. Believe in the power of God. Thirdly, yield to the will of God. That's what these Christians did. They prayed in verse 28, for God, look at it, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And here was their commitment. They said, Lord, I say yes to your will, even though I don't know what your will is. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? How many of us would take a business deal and say, you know, my broker, I'm just going to give you money. I don't, I don't care where you're going to put it. I just, I'm just going to give it to you. Now, that's not very smart. It may not be smart in business deals, but it's, it's smart in spiritual deals. When you come to God and you say, God, I can't see past my nose. I can't see into the future. But, Father, you live in the future. Therefore, I want to experience what you would have me to do. So, Lord, no matter what it is, no matter what you may call me to, the answer is yes. Young people, God may call you to Africa. God may call you to the Middle East. God may call you to the mission field. Is your answer yes right now? Are you saying Senior adult, are you saying, oh, I'm retired, I'm done, I'm just going to sit back in the pew and take it easy? That's not God's will for your life. You know how I know that? The word retire is never found in Scripture. (laughs) You should always be doing God's work. It doesn't matter how young or how old. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to say, Lord, no matter what it is, the answer is yes. Lord, no matter what it is that you may call me to do, the answer is yes. That's exactly what they were saying. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They recognized their position before God. When they looked at God, they didn't see God as some Santa Claus or some cosmic bellhop that they ring the bell and God is going to be there at their very beckoning will, doing what they want him to do. Listen to me. He is not our servant. We are his servants. Therefore, we should yield our life to him. We come to God in holy, reverent fear. You say, well, why am I supposed to be afraid of God? I thought he was a loving God. It's not fear as in being afraid. It's fear as in reverence. 
we come to him acknowledging the fact that we are his servants, not vice versa. They said in verse 24, they acknowledged, they said, Lord, you are God. Let me tell you something about God. God is too wise to make mistakes. He's too loving to be unkind. And he's too strong to fail. I don't know what you've got going on in your life, but you can yield to God's will. You can yield to his will. Though the storm clouds have surfaced and and you're walking through a big mess, you can yield to God's will, trusting in God's will. It may not happen the way you expect it to. It may not happen the way you want it to, but you can yield and you can trust to God's will. Number four, number four, a praying church proclaims God's glory. Proclaiming God's glory. Look at verse 29 and 30. We just read 29. Look at verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you see what they're praying right here? Do you see what they're saying? They're praying, God, we want you more than anything. We want you to get glory, all the glory out of everything that we do. That's what they're saying. In other words, they're saying, God, of all of the, the, the junk that we just walked through, all of the stuff that just happened to us, give us more of it. Remember, they were just threatened at the inch of their life. They were told, if you ever name the name of Jesus Christ again and we hear it, you're dead. And they just prayed in verse 29 and 30. They said, God, give us more of that. Give us more of that because when we start doing that, when Satan gets upset and Satan begins to get worried, he's wringing his hands, we know that we're doing your work, so God, you give us more of that. If it means that we have to go to jail or we have to die for preaching the gospel, then so be it. Lord, give us more boldness to preach. Give us more boldness to preach when we pray. When we pray, listen to me, church. When we pray, true prayer, true prayer is, Lord, advance your gospel through the situation. Lord, advance your gospel through me. Good, bad, and indifferent. We look at our life and we say, of all of the stuff that's going on, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but you do, you're living it. And I would never even try to attempt to tell you what's going on in your life until I've walked a mile in your shoes. I don't know. I don't know the horrendous things that are going on in your marriage or in your, with your children or with your work or with your personal life. I, I don't know. I don't know. But let me tell you that when you pray, you can believe that not only does God know what's going on, but you pray believing that God is going to take this mess and he's going to make a miracle out of it. That God is going to take these storms and he's going to provide a very good situation out of it. As we said early on, prayer is not changing the heart of God. Prayer is changing the heart of man. When we pray, we don't come to God praying. You know, we, we see the TV preachers all the time, the name it and claim it, guys. You know what we're talking about? If you see something that you want, you name it, you claim it, it's yours. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. Yes, we approach God's throne boldly. Yes, we believe that God can bring healing. Yes, we claim scripture. But we must do all things in accordance with his will. 
You say, well, what's the point of prayer? If when I pray, if, if that's not going to change God's heart and that's not going to change God's mind, then what's the point of praying? It's to get you right with God. That's why. And when you pray, I don't understand this. I can, as many years as I've put into studying God's word and many more years, God, hopefully God will give me many more years to study his word. I cannot understand. I cannot come to grips. With prayer doesn't change God's mind. God is not changed. God is not moved by our prayers. But yet when God's people begin to pray, things begin to happen. I can't understand that except to understand it this way. God is not going to bless us when we're outside of his will. God is not going to pour his blessings out upon us when we're outside of his will. And trust me, God wants to bless you. He does. God wants to rain down all of the lavish gifts of heaven upon your life right now. He does. But he's not going to do it when you're outside of his will. That's why so often when we read the prayers of scripture, we're praying and we see that they're praying not for my will, but his will to be done. It's not name it and claim it. It's not what you want. It's what he wants. But when God's people come together in that one accord, in that unity, with that one heart, that one mind, that one spirit, and they begin to pray, and they are in right fellowship with one another, and they are right fellowship with God, God begins to work. God begins to move. It's through the prayers of the church that God moves. It's through the prayers of these young people, church. We call them the next generation. Listen to me. They're not the next generation. They're generation now. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. And young people, listen to me. History has a way of repeating itself. We are living in the last days. And God said in his word in the last days, he's going to pour his spirit out upon all people. As you study history and you study the movement of the Spirit of God, it always is encompassed with prayer, prayer meetings. And here very recently, as God pours his Spirit out upon nations, upon churches, upon people, do you know where it begins? The young people. It begins with the young people. Young people get on their faces praying before God, begging the Holy Ghost of God to fall upon this place. The first great awakening, the second great awakening, all encompassed with prayer. The Jesus movement of the 70s began with youth praying, young people praying, seeking God's face. I believe if we want to see a great movement of the Spirit of God, we as the church must stop seeing them as the next generation and start seeing them as generation now. And embolden them and empower them and invest in them. Encourage them, train them up. In closing, I want us to see a similarity in our text of Acts 4 and then the day of Pentecost. There's an eerie relationship between what happened on the day of Pentecost and what happened in our text in Acts chapter 4. Let me give an example. Here, the, the disciples and the apostles were praying there, and Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says they had been praying. 
Here it says that in Acts chapter 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them as a fire. Exact same word, filled with the Spirit. Here, God shakes the building in which they were in. When they were praying, God shook the building to demonstrate his power. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2, a sound from heaven came as a mighty rushing wind. Here, they went out from that prayer meeting speaking the word of God with boldness. Same thing happened. Same thing happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 and Acts chapter 2, verse 11. They went out speaking great things of God. Notice, notice that Pentecost was the first great outpouring of the Spirit on the church. But in Acts chapter 4, we see the Spirit of God moving again. In both instances, we see the physical demonstration of God and his power. In both instances, the gospel was proclaimed. In both instances, people were saved and people were changed. I don't understand everything that happened on the day of Pentecost. I don't understand everything that happened on the day of Acts chapter 4. I don't know what it's like to be in a room and the building begin to shake because we had a prayer meeting. I don't know because I've never experienced it. However, what I know is this. What happened in Acts chapter 1 was repeated again in Acts chapter 4. What happened in Acts chapter 4 was repeated again later on in the book of Acts. What happened then was repeated again throughout the history and the centuries of the church all the way from the 18th century great awakenings all the way to the 1970s in the Jesus movement. And I believe that the Word of God is saying that the same Spirit that began to infiltrate and move among the church throughout Scripture and throughout history is the same Spirit that wants to move among us today. We must be in the right heart and in the right mind and in unity saying, Holy Ghost of God, send your power down among us. Revive these dead bones. We're looking out and we see dead bones all over the place. How in the world can God make these things? How can he make good things out of these bones? You just stand back and you watch God move. You worry about yourself and your heart and you let God worry about all the other stuff. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. We pray for revival. We pray that the Spirit of God will take hold of our personal lives. He'll take hold of this church and he will move us to places we've never dreamt. And he'll do that. Let me ask you today. We're in this series of messages entitled Followers. Followers. It means followers of Jesus. And my question to you is this. Are you a follower of Jesus? I didn't ask you if you were a member of a church. I didn't ask you if you named the name of Jesus. I didn't ask you. I asked you if you were a follower of Jesus. In order to be a follower of Jesus, then you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Those of us who, we all have relationships, don't we? Maybe you have a relationship with a spouse or a relationship with a child or a relationship with a mother, a relationship with a father, a relationship with a brother or a sister. We all have relationships. And here's the truth about relationships. Don't miss this. All relationships have a beginning point. All relationships have a point where they begin. When did your relationship with Jesus begin? You say, oh, I've always been a Christian. No, you've not. That's not possible. 
It's not possible. You see, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. If you're born into a Hindu family, you're Hindu. If you're born into a Buddhist family, you're Buddhist. If you're born into an atheist family, you're an atheist. But you cannot be born into a Christian family and that make you Christian. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. When did you start your relationship with Jesus? If you say, well, pastor, I've never started a relationship with Jesus. How do I do that? You do that by yielding your life to him, making him Lord of your life. 